whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. This is Dr. Lee for America here with another team of our whistleblowers who are bringing you the truth about the lies, deceptions, and all of the assaults on our way of life, your freedom, and your life. For such a time as this, we are here to bring you truth, hope, and solutions. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org, for medical help, legal help, and all of the other resources. Join us in our Faith Over Fear seminars each Tuesday night via Zoom at 8 o'clock Eastern Time every week. And now, here is your host for today. Welcome, everybody. This is Major Mike Gary, your host for today's Whistleblower Report. And this is going to be an environmental report. And it's going to be specifically about Lyme disease. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting show, as I will address in the first half, uh, local outbreaks of Lyme disease. And then we'll get into uh, the more research part in the second half of the show. Uh, as always, I'm going to give myself the disclaimer. I'm not representing the Department of Defense. I am a free man executing my First Amendment rights to speak freely on this subject. However, as the audience may know, I have nearly 15 years of experience in biological warfare agents, as, as well as chemical, radiological, and nuclear agents, too. But the B, or the biological, is what's going to come in handy today. And I have 25 years of total service moving into my 26 years and barely hanging on to my military career. <laughs> so anyway, we'll, I want to thank uh, the donators to the Truth for Help Foundation. Your donations have been put to good use. I am very excited to report that we are looking at starting uh, federal false claims lawsuits. We have a proprietary database uh, with people that have made entries that were either on their COVID vaccine injuries or their remdesivir injuries. And we're looking to group uh, small groups of these people together for these federal false claim lawsuits and actually start uh, punishing those who misled and lied and obviously committed large harm uh, to a great portion of the American population. So that's what we're looking to do. I am excited about this. This is righteous judgment in my view. And we're going to get to the center of the truth by pursuing these things. So your donations 
are much appreciated. And that is what they're going to. They're going to uh, pay for my work and others on the Truth for Health team to actually pursue these things. We're finally in a good position to do this. So we thank you for your gracious donations. And the donations are coming from small, mostly small, loyal uh, participants uh, to the Truth for Health uh, Foundation. So we thank you for that. Um, so as we move into this show here, I want to start with a local story. Um, as you know, I'm up here in the Northeast, Maine specifically, which is near the epicenter of the whole Lyme disease fiasco that started, what, four or five decades ago now. And, um, and I'm in my young 40s, so I've been around to experience the evolution of Lyme disease over the decades. So I'm going to start with a local headline here. This is out of uh, 13 WGME, which is a CBS affiliate here in Maine. And it's titled, Maine Lyme disease cases hit record high for second year in a row. Okay. And then moving into it, it says, for a second year in a row, Maine recorded a record number of Lyme disease cases, according to the Press Herald, which is the big paper here in Maine. In uh, 2022, the Maine CDC reported 2,617 cases of Lyme disease. Last year, the Maine CDC says they saw a record 2,904 cases. And I am one of those cases. You guys... Uh, if you're the loyal participants in our Faith Over Fear program or our medicine and ministry programs, you're probably already aware of this. So I'm going to touch on my Lyme disease and my experiences with it this past year and uh, kind of develop this whole first half of the show around that. Uh, so uh, the Midco saw the highest numbers with Knox County reporting 123 cases per 100,000 people. Experts say the here here we go. This is something funny that's repeated every year. This, so this is an easy line to say. Experts say the weather this past year could have contributed to the record uh, number of Lyme disease cases. Well, that's what they always say. When <laughs> we break the record on that, uh, they always state that. So deer ticks can be active anytime the temperature is above freezing. So the risk uh, of that stretches through the winter although I have never seen it. I have seen it in um, late fall and early spring. I have seen it early spring, which some may call that winter time, but you will see the uptick of uptick of hick activity during early spring and in late fall. Okay, that's what I've experienced uh, in this climate uh, here in Maine. And by the way, I, just so everybody knows, uh, the climate graphs for planting I use those and I always plant my crops per that the same time every year. So I haven't really noticed climate change per that, right? I mean, I have experienced weather differences over times and I have experienced lately some really extreme rains, but I never have switched the time of year that I plant uh, my crops here. Just so everybody knows that I've never planted crops in the middle of winter per se. Okay. So just, I want to throw that out there as an observation and a practice that I do every year. Okay. 
probably get where I stand on climate change. Okay. In addition to Lyme disease, deer ticks can also spread the germs that cause uh, Anapola, Babesiosis, Powassan, and hard tick relapse and fever. Uh, probably didn't say all those right, but uh, common symptoms of tick-borne diseases include joint and muscle pain, fatigue, chills, fever, headache, and swollen lymph nodes. Oh boy, I'm going to tell you about that here in a minute. So people with Lyme disease may also have a bullseye rash anywhere on their body. Not only the site of the tick bite, this is a key thing. It's not only the site of the tick bite, um, it could be anywhere. If you experience any of these symptoms, talk to your healthcare provider. And as we know, Dr. Dr. Lee Leet does not like using that term healthcare provider. Likes to talk in the fact that it's a doctor, nurse, or PA. Okay. The main CDC recommends um, these steps, uh, you know, to protect yourself for outside activity. Uh, no tick habitat and take precautions in areas where ticks may live. Wear light-colored clothing and cover the arms, legs, tuck pants into the sock. Use an EPA-approved repellent. Uh, I don't do that. I use uh, tea tree oil, peppermint oil, and so there's some other ones that you can use. But I generally, if, if I know I'm going to go into a tick-infested uh, area, which is, tall, generally speaking, tall grass, I will lather up. My wife makes a... Uh, <laughs> a uh, her own insect repellent which a lot of it is uh, cit citronella tea tree and peppermints and some other things uh, so she's right into that so try to be uh, very wary of putting like DEET and these other chemicals which are some of them are low grade nerve nerve agents in my opinion but anyway that's what I do uh, check for ticks daily and after any outdoor activity check your family members right I do. We do that if we go to an area that we don't trust. We are uh, checking ourselves, or stripping down for ticks in my family. However, my house is fairly good for that. We don't have to do that all the time. But uh, anytime anybody feels something weird uh, moving on them, believe me, we're all checking it out. And anytime the animals, like the cats, come in the house, we're checking them out too and taking care of the ticks as, as we find those. So remove clothing when you get home and put it in the dryer uh, before washing. Of course, the dryer will kill them. That operates at a temperature that it, it destroys them. And it says to do that for 10 to 15 minutes in the dryer. Okay, moving on here in the article, this local article, I wanted to mention this. So I, this is this local article I just read to you, and the one commenter on it is hilarious. It's called, it operates under the, an alias Brackish. What he says, uh, this is was 16 January of 2024. So we're on the 22nd of January as I record this. So just a few, six days ago, wasn't Lyme disease, uh, wasn't Lyme disease government created in Connecticut, got loose, and now it's through all through the Northeast? Question mark. Where did Lyme disease come from question mark so it's kind of funny and this is where the program is going to go so that's why i opened with this little article i thought it's funny that uh that the one commenter is getting at what this whole program is going to be about okay so for those of you who know me uh i had a little break during the summer uh which would have been around the july august time frame as i was recovering 
from a Lyme disease, an acute form of it. And, you know, what I experienced for symptoms, okay, was um, I had a rash, I had the bullseye rash, which seemed to be around a bite, which I really believe it was a mosquito bite, not a tick bite. Uh, however, that's that's pretty hard to determine. If it was a little nymph tick, th- those are extremely hard to see, and those are the ones that tend to uh, regurgitate the bacteria into your body rather quickly because it's so tiny. So it's the very baby nymph ones uh, that they're the dangerous ones because they have the least amount of time uh, before they actually do that. They vomit the bacteria into uh, you know uh, whoever they're on. So usually you have about 24 hours to identify 28 to four, excuse me, 24 to 48 hours to identify if a tick is on you. If you get it off, you're generally safe. You've generally acted in a way uh, to prevent them from having a blood meal and then vomiting uh, bacteria into, um, into yourself. So I came down with that bullseye rash. It was it was like raised. It was extremely hot and it was growing. It was right in the center of my shoulder blades and it started to get so big. It was creeping over my trapezius muscles over to the front of my body and it was hot, extremely hot. So I had the night sweats. Uh, I was drenching the sheets because it was a massive uh, immune response going on in my body a big war going on between the bacteria and my immune system i really felt like i was gonna what again right away i didn't know what was going on i was starting to have i knew i had this welt on my back but again you never know what a welt is until it started growing and looking more like a bullseye uh you know i didn't know i had lyme disease and uh I thought it might be cellulitis or something like that. So I was looking into all these other things. And again, it's hard because a tick is a perfect vector for spreading a biological weapon. Now, for for you guys out there, a vector is um, a biological vector is an organism that transmits the causative agent or disease causing organism from the reservoir to the host. So invertebrates or bugs, insects are perfect for doing this, right? Uh, Mosquitoes are like flying syringes and fleas, ticks, and I'm sure there's others out there that are very good at spreading these. So I didn't know right away what the heck I had because I'm so good at doing tick checks. My family is very good at that. So I, I found it hard to believe I missed the tick, okay? So that's there's a bias there working against against my cause. Um, so I had stiff muscles, lymph nodes. Oh my goodness, my lymph nodes were on fire. They were so painful, and I would say this was the most lagging of the symptoms was my lymph nodes. And of course, I couldn't move my neck. I had to turn my body in order to look from place to place. Um, so it was extremely bad. And then another symptom that can't go overlooked is the lack of energy just apathetic lethargic you know i try to you know do something and then i would just find that i just did not have the energy to to complete the task um so that was a big big issue so after a while as that bullseye spot started to grow i was like maybe maybe i did get lyme disease so i did not identify a tick and certainly didn't 
really identify the tick bite. I feel the bite that that bullseye was around was a mosquito bite because it was high between my shoulders. So I, again, don't know. Don't know. What I do know is from this article and talking around to local people, there was a massive epidemic of people coming down with Lyme disease this past summer. Now, where did I get it? If I had to name the geographical location, it was in town. And in town is, believe it or not, is the worst spots where there's a little bit of high grass, tree location, bushes in town seems to be one of the worst spots that I've uh, recorded here in the central Maine area. It, you seem destined to get ticks. Now, I did some uh, land clearing for a friend of mine who is a massage therapist in town. She actually ended up extending her um, property line uh, and picked up this little piece of land in town that needed to be cleared. And I did a lot of that clearing for her. Now, the funny thing is, or not funny at all, uh, she came down uh, with Lyme disease too. Uh, about this about the same time and her symptoms tended to be more severe her energy lack of energy i should say lasted a lot longer than mine so anyway uh we were able to validate each other she actually had a blood test i did not mine was just like a um based off the symptoms and looking at the bullseye i was easily taken care of um on a drill weekend i went over to an urgent care and got seen and I was immediately uh, prescribed doxycycline, which is the proper treatment for it. And I received, I can't remember if it's like 25 days or 28 days of doxycycline. And uh, that seemed to take care of all my acute symptoms. Now, do I have lagging chronic symptoms? Not sure yet. Um, I have had some body stiffness, but I've, I've had that over the years. Is it worse? It does seem to be a little worse. I'm not sure. So I'll be watching that. And um, the interesting thing is, I want to say really quickly, uh, where I first came, where I first ran into Lyme disease, you know, I heard the term around maybe when I was in my upper teens, which would be the late 90s. And then I heard the term Lyme disease, wasn't really aware of what it is. In 2003, I went to my officer candidate school. Um, this was a two-week course. It was the first course in officer candidate school for myself down in Niantic, Connecticut, which is the neighboring town to Old Lyme or Lyme, Connecticut. All right. So the epicenter of Lyme disease, I was right down in it in 2003 and so I was doing all the training to become an officer at the time. And we happened to do our land navigation test in Niantic, Connecticut. So we're out in the woods uh, rolling around the Connecticut forest and uh, doing this. And it, there was other training going on. But this one would obviously be the one that would bring us through the bushes and into the woods and doing all that. And I remember... Uh, this is the first time I ever really came in into contact with uh, Lyme disease because they were having us do tick checks in the tent. So you go into this tent at night and everybody's stripped down and would check yourself for ticks. And I'm like, wow, this is so serious. But nobody ever explained uh, the the importance of doing the tick check, meaning how bad Lyme disease is. Right. I never 
well, so I'm, we're checking for this thing. Is it even that bad? At that time, I did not know. I was young. I was like 23 in 2003, and I had no idea how bad it was, right? So uh, sometimes the army, or back then, the army would quite often overreact because it was becoming very risk adverse at the time. So I just saw it as that. Now, funny, I did get a tick on me uh, during that time, probably several, but there was at least one in my armpit that I had the medic. He took it off, pulled the tick off. I guess I was okay from it. Um, and then they immediately took it and put it in a, a container of some type to send off to have it tested to see if there was Lyme disease in it, which I thought was interesting. So as I would progress through army schools and this Lyme disease phenomenon was becoming more and more of a thing and tick checks were like everywhere. They weren't just in Lyme, Connecticut. They were, or Niantic, Connecticut. They were also in Fort Benning, Georgia the following summer when I complete my officer candidate school. So I was like, wow, this is pretty serious, right? Without doing any research. I did not do any research at that time. Didn't even care to. I was too young of a man. Didn't, you know, that wasn't on my mind to do. However, uh, the army was taking it very serious. So that I found that incredibly interesting uh, how that was. Now, Lyme, Connecticut, and Niantic, Connecticut are 15 miles north of Plum Island. Okay? Plum Island. Remember that. We're going to talk about Plum Island on the other side of the break. Now, um, tick prevention. I don't typically worry too much about ticks, although we're very vigilant as a family uh, you know, checking ourselves if we feel something, but we don't do that every night. Like when I come in, I have animals, I have um, chickens and guinea hens. Uh, I think everybody knows what a chicken is, so I'm not going to discuss that, but you know how their heads are down pecking at stuff all the time. They're always eating bugs and whatever, whatever they can get uh, for plants and stuff on the ground. So the heads are constantly down there. Well, guinea hens are way better than chickens when it comes to eating up insects. And they're the they're the little bird that has a clown face. Uh they're extremely vigilant uh at doing that. And they're like they're like little woodpeckers when they go after something. Their head moves back and forth so fast like a woodpecker that they're really into it. Extremely vigilant bird. So in our immediate vicinity of our house Oh, let's just say a couple hundred feet uh, radius around our house where the, where we have free range chickens and guinea hens. I don't have ticks. Now, if we wander off into some of our upper fenced area, uh, every once in a while we'll get a tick around those um, peak times, which is early spring and late fall when the typically um, when the ticks are typically very active. So that's what we have noticed in our uh, life and they so so they do tremendous jobs chickens and guinea hens so that's something to look into free range and uh, extremely beneficial now hopefully i can get to this before the break we get to the break um i was on this uh lymedisease.org okay and the article is lyme disease a bioweapon experiment gone bad and it's based off uh chris newby's book bitten which i have not read it looks like a very Good book. Subtitled The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons is a wake-up call. And this article is by Dorothy 
Kupcha Leland. And then what what it does, so if you go to that website, there's a lot of information there. And uh, it highlights this journalist. Her name's Chris Newby. And the one that wrote the, wrote the book, um, Bitten. Yeah. So in 2002, Chris Newby, while vacationing on Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, she and her husband, Paul, were bitten by unseen ticks. Okay, those little nymphs, that, they're wicked tiny. These ticks... These tick bites would rob us of good health, Newby writes, and send me on investigation into an almost unimaginable possibility that we were collateral damage in a biological weapons race that had started during the Cold War. And again, Martha's Vineyard, not very far from Lyme, Connecticut. Um, upon their return to California, Newby and her husband got horribly sick. A succession of medical experts couldn't pinpoint the problem and eventually dismissed them as patients um this doctor uh, excuse me this happened despite the fact that newbie had a positive lyme test which her doctors rejected as a false positive and there's a whole bunch of problems uh with that type of false positives and doctors for example newbie's case was typical she saw 10 doctors before stepping out of the medical mainstream okay and my sister my older half sister uh, ran into this. This was one of the big uh, aha moments for me about the 2000 time, 2010 time frame. My older half sister came down with debilitating Lyme disease. Like she was paralyzed. I remember that she would have to lay on the couch paralyzed for a time. Uh, so we're talking neurological problems. Um, and she had a bunch of eating problems at the same time. Uh, she eventually, so she got passed around like this Chris Newby did from doctor to doctor to doctor, found a natural path or a homeopathic type person that diagnosed her with Lyme disease and started the healing process for what was a chronic Lyme disease. So I, I would like to give a shout out to my, my older sister. Uh, she has been instrumental in me digging deeper into things like Lyme disease, food, uh, unfortunately she had to experience a lot of these things and I believed her, you know, a lot of people didn't believe her. I believed her. I could see her genuine suffering with these things. And of course this has led to deeper research on my part about that time frame. I was becoming a Seaburn officer. So this mattered to me to find answers for these things. And then the obvious, the obvious piece to this is that Lyme disease is uh, you know, gain of function or some type of uh, what I call breeding of strong or very uh, pathogenic bacteria, you know, if you look at it, trying to keep what is very infectious or, or deadly. So that's the way I look at this. Now, another thing that this uh, article um makes us aware of is uh, is a movie that came out in 2008 which is called under our skin which is chris newby helped i think she helped um, uh, you know give some of the research information to this i had bought that uh probably certain after my sister came down with lyme disease and i learned a lot from that video under our skin i think there's a part two to it, an update to it and it's a very good documentary to watch and i'll put a link to all these things that i'm talking about at the end of the article but these are very good to show you the type of suffering people have gone through and in it um 
in this article here, um, the only government researcher that they could find or uh, was Willie Bergdefor, the, the discoverer of Lyme spirochete, which is very similar to a syphilis spirochete. Uh, uh, Borrelia burgdorferi, which is named Lyme disease, right? That's a scientific name named after its founder. Okay, Willie. So this is um, uh, Chris talking with um, Willie Bergdefor. Willie told us that the U.S. government knows that Lyme disease can become chronic and that patients can relapse after an intentional, uh, excuse me, initial infection, newbie writes. And that the disease is particularly damaging to the neurological systems of children. Uh, he stated, uh, excuse me, he stated that the work should instead be done by scientists who don't uh, beforehand know the result of their research. And then one other piece, as soon as we turned off the camera and began, so she's, she's uh, interviewing him. Willie uh, told us with a smile, I didn't tell you everything. But try as we might, we couldn't get him to say anymore. Okay, so interesting. We'll hold that. We'll get in on the other side of the break. We'll get into a little more on that, on Willie Berg DeFore. And, uh, and uh, we'll discuss what we think he had a part in and what Lyme disease actually is. Okay, so before we go, I just want to say we thank you uh, for everybody that's donated to us. We go to our website, www.truthforhealth.org. Check out our resources, COVID treatment guide and COVID vaccine injury treatment guide, which is recently updated. Also check out our Faith Over Fear programs, which we are discussing current and relative uh, relative things going on in our world we are addressing the fear factor around those and also we'll be hosting another uh, medicine and ministry project coming up probably on the book of acts and then eventually about a loss so we th thank you and we will be back right after the break check out the new truth for health store at truthforhealthstore.com. We have exclusive professional formulas with exciting new products, including True Mitochondrial Boost that can help improve your energy, memory, focus, and concentration. All of our products are manufactured in certified compliant facility using good manufacturing Practices approved and inspected by the FDA. Check us out, www.truthforhealthstore.com. Welcome back to the second half of the show. The Whistleblower Report military segment for the Truth for Health Foundation. And I want to uh, thank the donors again for everything you've done for us to help pursue legal and, and just fights as it relates to the COVID mandates. Uh, go to www.truthforhealth.org, join our crusade, and uh, also check out our medicine and ministry and our faith over fear. Okay, moving into 
this uh, article a little more. Again, I was on the article uh, that was found on Lyme disease dot org. It is called "Is Lyme Disease?" Excuse me, "Is Lyme Disease a Bioweapons Experiment Gone Bad?" And based off Chris Newby's book, Bitten. Okay, and then I'm going to give a little information on. Um, Will Bergdefori. Will Bergdefor. Okay. And that's what Lyme disease scientific name is named after. So Bergdefor grew up in Basel, Switzerland and became fascinated with ticks. While a PhD student at Swiss Tropical and Public Health Institute, at the end of his training in 1951, he took a position in the U.S. government's Rocky Mountain Laboratories in Montana, that place has made the news in the last month or two, and we'll probably do a follow-up show on that. I'm sure we're going to find out some interesting things about that Montana location. And, and again, this is where he kind of started in the U.S. government. It held the most extensive collection of ticks in the country. At first, it appeared that the job involving, uh, involved figuring out how to protect people and animals from tick-borne diseases. However, Bergdefer, um was apparently soon disabused of that notion during the cold era, excuse me, during that cold war era, the U S government was heavily involved in bioweapons research. Scientists sought ways to turn infectious microbes, such as anthrax, the plague, brucella and tularemia into potent military tools that could disable a huge population. And again, this is where my expertise comes in. Um, not only uh, identifying these, but being able to actually walk into a laboratory system and find out if they're actually mass growing these uh, these infectious diseases or if is it just a chemical lab. And there's very distinct things that distinguish them. Again, that's where my line of training is. And this relates to Fres Fresno, I think it's Fresno, California, that was in the news a couple months ago. And the all the rats that were in the lab there run by the Chinese, that I would have been in a unit that would have responded to that initially and helped identify what was going on there, the processes going on. So that's the type of uh, line of work that the team I was a part of, I call it a team because you know, it's a bunch of subject matter experts trained, highly trained in their specialties. And uh, we would have identified that. So anyway, moving on. Uh, Newby writes about a particular meeting with Bergdefer uh, attended in Canada. After hearing from a room full of uh, entomological warfare experts, which are the study of insects and vectors and spreading diseases that way, he now... Uh, most certainly knew that he was no longer protecting humans from tiny eight-legged beasts. He was instead turning those beasts into lethal weapons. There you go. The author does a stellar job of setting through a huge, uh, excuse, excuse me, sifting through a huge collection of clues, but some answers remain tantalizingly out of reach. The outbreak was caused by a U.S. accident. We need to. We need it exposed. She writes. If it was a hostile act by a foreign actor, then it shows how woefully unprepared we are for future attacks. Uh, Bergdefer uh, spent time at Fort Detrick, Maryland, where one of the buildings was nicknamed the Anthrax Hotel. Uh, funny, ha ha ha. 
Um, another structure housed the eight, the eight ball, a massive cloud chamber used for testing airborne bioweapons on animals and human volunteers. Um, he brainstormed with entomologist uh, James Oliver, which I'll have to check into that guy someday, who was working on a program to drop weaponized ticks out of airplanes. He traveled to England and Czechoslovakia to meet with scientists during, excuse me, doing similar work. Bergdefore also experience, uh, experimented with ways to infect ticks in more than one pathogen at a time. Newbie so it says documentation of tick-borne bioweapons research. Newby meticulously documented all of this with massive archival research discussions with many people knowledgeable about bioweapons research in the U.S. And another interview with Berg DeFore himself in 2013. By then, advanced Parkinson's, imagine this, Parkinson's disease was stealing Berg DeFore's ability to speak clearly and his health was failing. In fact, he would die the following year, so 2014. Okay, I'm going to move on from that. There is a ton more information. Uh, I will put a link to this uh, website and obviously the article that's on it. It's very good. A uh, lot more information there, but I want to move on to uh, not too distant past here. July 22, 2019. Okay, the summer right before the whole COVID fiasco began for us, okay? This article is entitled, The U.S. Has a History of Testing Biological Weapons on the Public. You think? Were infected ticks used to? Question. And this is by Michelle Bentley. I say, yes, it was. That's my opinion. And you could decide after looking at these articles. Um, so the House of Representatives had instructed the Pentagon to disclose whether it used ticks to infect the American public with Lyme disease between 1950 and 1975. The allegation comes from Chris Smith, the Republican representative from New Jersey. I have to check this and see where it stands now. I didn't for this show. A longstanding campaigner on Lyme disease. Smith says the claims are from a new book about the illness and the man who discovered it a bioweapon scientist called Willie Bergdefer, uh, which the book he's referencing is bitten. Okay. So there you go. That closes that loop for you. Uh, there are issues with these allegations, not least that Bergdefer uh, didn't discover Lyme disease until 1982, almost a decade after it's claimed the ticks may have been used. Other scientists have dismissed the claims and there is no proof that they are true. Uh, but the U.S. does have a history of testing biological weapons on the public. Of course it does. Okay, here's here's a history to you. And uh, I'm not going to read all of this, but just to, to kind of prove the point, the U.S. biological weapons uh, program started during World War II, but the first real public test didn't happen until 1949 when scientists, and think about this, this is after World War II, and we have grabbed a lot of Nazi scientists, okay? The whole mad rush between Russia and I to grab those evil Nazi scientists in at 1949. Okay. When scientists put harmless bacteria in the air conditioning systems at the Pentagon, oh, so they first tested it on themselves. Great. Uh, to see what a biological weapon might look like. A year later... The U.S. Navy carried out Operation Sea Spray, the coast of San Francisco, 
in California were sprayed with two types of bacteria, Bacillus, uh, Globigi, and Serratia marcescens. I think I said those right. Uh, these bacteria, one of them I know is very close to anthrax, Bacillus anthracis. Okay. Uh, these bacteria are supposed to be safe, but Bacillus globii is now listed as a pathogen, causes food poisoning, and can hurt anyone with a weak immune system. Uh, so 11 people were admitted to the hospital with serious bacteria infections after the San Francisco test. One of them, Edward uh, Nevin, died three weeks later. Okay, so... That's documented. I'm sure there was more, but these are the ones we know about. In 1951, uh, tests were also carried out in Norfolk Naval uh, Supply Center in Virginia, a massive base that equips the U.S. Navy uh, fungal spores were dispersed to see how they would infect workers. Unpacking crates there. Most of the workers were, were <laughs> here we go, African-American. We're targeting specific races. Uh, this, this is true racism right here, uh, African-American, and the scientists wanted to test a theory that they were more susceptible to fungi disease than Caucasians. Wow. Wow. Yeah, where's the woke DEI stuff now? Huh? And uh, so in 1997, the National Research Council revealed that the U.S. also used uh, chemicals to test the potential biological weapons in the 1950s, zinc, cadmium. Uh, sulfide was dispersed by planes and sprayed over a number of cities, including St. Uh, Louis in Missouri, which we just heard about this. I can't remember. It's within the last year. This was fully outed. This did happen and made people sick in St. Louis uh, and Minneapolis and Minnesota. These cities were chosen because they were similar to Soviet targets, such as Moscow, in terms of terrain, weather and population. Oh, great. So let's do it on our own people. Uh, and again, fully exposed, uh, total transparency now, specifically on the Missouri one. I'll have to look into the Minneapolis city, but um, yeah, that's been outed. So uh, let's see where the council concluded that no one was hurt and that the level of chemical use was not harmful. Okay. But in 2012, uh, so, uh, so, there's a professor here, Lisa Martino Taylor, claimed that there was a spike in cancer rates that could be connected back to the chemicals, which she alleges were radioactive. Nothing has since emerged to back up her claims, except there was a recent thing in the news, which I can go into that in a later program. And then here, moving on, this Project 112. Uh, there was a massive increase in testing in 1962 when the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, Authorized Project 112. The project expanded bioweapons testing and pumped new funds into research. And one of the more controversial tests took place in 1966 on the New York subway. Okay, think of this, New York subway, which is kind of the epicenter of COVID, if you think about it. So kind of, this is interesting. You know, like the same, same ops plan being used here. Uh, scientists filled light bulbs with Bacillus globii uh, bacteria and then smashed them open on the tracks. The bacteria traveled for miles around the subway system, being breathed in by thousands of civilians and, and covering their clothes. In 2008, here we go, the U.S. Government Accountability 
office acknowledged that tens of thousands of civilians might have been exposed to biological agents thanks to Project 112 and other tests. The same report noted that since uh, 2003, the U.S. Defense Department has been trying to identify which civilians have been exposed uh, during Project 112. Okay. So, yep. So we admit that the government does that. And we knew that all along. Now, uh, for the audience out there, I want you to be aware of a book. It's a very good book. This book I read about five years ago. It's called Lab 257, and it's about Plum Island, 15 miles south of where I was at in 2003 of Niantic, Lyme, Connecticut, 15 miles south across, I think they call it the Long Island Sound, that the body of water that comes off the Atlantic there between the island and the mainland Connecticut. Okay, so this book opens... Uh, it's it's funny. This is by Michael Christopher Carroll. Came out in 2004. Very good uh, research, uh, interviews, and everything else. And there's no local connection to me here. Um, so the book opens in chapter one, um, The Lime Connection. Okay. And it is talking about in the first chapter, it opens with a, um, a guy writing to Dirian, have you ever heard of Lyme disease? I am writing this letter because I know you can help thousands of people by warning them about this awful sickness. I have been battling it for 18 months. Frankly, I'm not doing well. It would be impossible for me to describe the emotion and physical pain that I have been through. I am 42-year-old man, married near, nearly 20 years, and have a family. The days of slinging a 100-pound sack of birdseed over my shoulder and walking to the backyard are over. Today, I can't even lift a five-pound sack of flour. There was a time when I could play nine musical instruments. I sang in the church choir and ran my own small business. Today, I do none of the above. I am saving all my, my energy to fight Lyme disease. The treatment costs a staggering a staggering IV therapy runs uh, from 150 to 475. A treatment we have already taken out a third mortgage on our home. Had I been aware of these symptoms from the beginning, I could have had $15 worth of an antibiotic and and uh, taken care of it. And he goes on. This is how the opening, uh, the beginning chapter opens. It opens with uh, uh, also with a group guarding a nuclear facility in Long Island and a guy getting bit, coming down with Lyme disease. And, you know, it's pointed out that uh, it's not far from Plum Island. And thus the book covers Plum Island, which was supposed to be this biological veterinary lab facility, which was, which was not that it was much, much more, if you can imagine. So, um, going to chapter seven in the book. Okay. And, um, I'm getting a little long on time here, so I don't have too much time to to develop this but chapter seven is awesome because you actually have whistleblowers military whistleblower uh that comes out and have a connection to this person okay so the disastrous incident is what chapter seven is entitled and it dates back to september 15 1978 uh seven o'clock a.m okay so in order to get to this island you had to take a ferry uh across from the mainland uh long island uh, to get get to it and this is how the workers would travel every day so it says 
here in the chapter this guy that's doing the the lab work again you have a lot of lab grunts who do all the grunt work to uh, prepare these labs for tests right so that morning this is one of these guys now that morning the doctor planned to demonstrate the effects of bovine herpes uh mammalitis excuse me virus and um so anyway he asked billy to set things up okay so billy goes to do this and he says oh s word they already got it he discovers something about the animals that he's supposed to prepare and billy was startled by what he found two steers were stumbling around in the yellow uh, tiled cell block, drooling profusely and foaming at the mouth, muttering low groans. This can't be, he thought. There's no way. Maybe he was in the wrong lab. Maybe the pounding headache was mixing him up. And he didn't feel that good because he had a rough ride across the ferry that, that morning. So he had some issues. So no, he thought, this is the lab room I'm supposed to be in. I know it is. They have to be clean. These animals, the handlers just brought the, uh, these two in the here from the old cow barn yesterday. The aftermath of last night's festivities was impairing his judgment. So apparently he had some drinks the night before too. And then a rough ferry ride in the morning. Um, we'll, uh, while there's still a little time left, let's try this over again. So anyway, he's second guessing himself and he goes and checks again. And this isn't me anymore. So he does this several times. <laughs> he's like rubbing his eyes. Am I really seeing this? And then he's, he eventually says, this isn't me anymore. I've got some really sick animals here. Okay. And it progresses into, uh-oh, pulling out the test kits from the walk-in freezer. Dr. Uh, Derii, first test of the samples Billy extracted from the animals upstairs, a against each strand of FMD and a match was made type O dash one. And then the moment of the truth, the samples from the animal supply building number 62 also reacted to type O dash one virus. Oh God. An outbreak. Here it is. Worst case scenario. One of these labs have an outbreak. Can you imagine that after what we've seen? Um, viruses had escaped from at least one of the two labs. Okay. So then everybody admits there's an outbreak. We don't know the extent of it because things have gotten out of our hands. Can you imagine this? Oh no, we've infected who knows the world, right? Sorry to, sorry for the cynicism and sarcasm and, and, uh, trying to make light of this, but the, the stuff needs to be shut down is my point of showing this it's happened time and time again this always happens okay so they have to do a massive culling um so the culling was a response to foot and mouth disease virus the plum island animal disease center uh cause okay so they had to get rid of this foot and mouth disease some believe um that hand, uh, foot and mouth disease virus was the fifth of the 10 biblical plagues the disease with which god smote Egyptian livestock. Oh, so kind of keep that in mind. This kind of relates to everything that we do, medicine and ministry and faith over fear too. Okay. So I'm going to jump ahead here. It says the plan called for Armageddon, which is to destroy every animal on the island, everything except humans. Okay. So they go into that. And what they do is they have to part, get all the animals. I don't, I can't remember how many it was. There's probably hundreds. 
So they, they have to part the animals, take the animals apart, okay, and throw them down into the fiery furnace. And um, if I remember right, they were doing um, they were doing 1,500 pounds, I found it here, 1,500 pounds an hour they were cooking up. And they have to destroy everything. Um, uh, so they would bring all these parts. Somebody had to slice these animals up, butcher them quickly, bring them into the furnace. There they opened. So this is the furnace. There they opened the two black cast iron sliding doors and were immediately blasted with heat of 2,000 degrees of oils, stoked fire raging seven feet below them. The smell and the heat were unbelievable. So they had to cook it all up. Uh, so they ran this well beyond its capacity for 48 consecutive hours. They burned everything at 1500 pounds an hour. Okay. Uh, well beyond its capacity. Well, wait, there was already a problem with this facility. And this is where I get into a local connection. Um, the local connection is this guy, Merlin Wigan. I actually served with his nephew. Um, and that's all I'm going to say. But uh, this Merlin Wigan was the actually a full bird colonel uh, in the military army, and he became a whistleblower on this. He was the lead engineer of this whole island. So his job was to ensure that the facilities were correct. Well, he quite often filled out reports that their filter systems, the HVAC systems, gaskets, and other things weren't up to par, weren't up to code. Uh, so it was kind of waiting for one of these problems. Now, there was a problem for him. There was this Dr. Um, Dr. Callis, or he, which was Director Callis. Uh, he was the lead guy, and him and the safety officer, Dr. Walker, uh, tended to always decide in a different direction than Merlin Wigan. Okay. So this Merlin Wigan is actually from my area in Maine. I think this is where he grew up, or at least some of his family members are in this area and have been here for a while. So he's actually comes from this area. He was a whistleblower like myself, trying to take care of things before there was ever an outbreak. So this whole chapter revolves around this. It's a great read. I will be listing this book and uh, there's a lot more information, but chapter seven is is essentially what we experienced in 2019 into early 2020 with Wuhan. Okay. So this has happened repeatedly, repeatedly in our history of biological weapons. And we're not supposed to be doing gain of function work. That's the crazy thing about this. Okay. This needs to stop. It has to stop. And uh, I, I mean, I am motivated to end these programs once and for all. And that's why I'm really excited about our federal false claim uh, claim lawsuits that we got going on. We're actually going to righteously punish those who have lied, been a part of the actual conspiracy to uh, continue to poison and harm the American people. Okay. Uh, one last thing I'm going to draw your attention to is another article by Peter Parody. It's called How the Government Created Lyme Disease. It was an inf uh, it's on the origins of Lyme disease and what we can learn from it. It was an infamous moment in the history of disease. People living near a secretive government bioweapons lab, which is Plum Island, okay, suddenly getting sick. The government investigation 
uh, excuse me, the government investigation and declares that they found a new disease. Independent journalists learned that the government was using the nearby lab to conduct gain-of-function experiments, animal-borne illnesses, and speculate that the lab leak might be the cause of the outbreak. So you know in 1978 there was an outbreak <laughs> on that island. So the corporate media and expert class immediately sprang into action. Lab leak uh, hypothesis is a conspiracy theory. Yeah, you may be thinking that's the whole problem with Lyme. This is why it was you had to go from doctor to doctor to doctor to get help. Uh, you may be thinking that this is a summary of the SARS-CoV-2 uh, lab leak story from 2020. In fact, it describes the disease in the 1970s. Okay, so here's the link to our current situation. Uh, this is a great article. There's a lot of information into it, but. Um, just simply running out of time, but these things all weave together. All this information, this historical information I went over is all relevant to what we experienced over the last three years, almost four years now, right? And then, or four years now, I guess. And then disease X, here comes disease X, right? So we got to stop this stuff. And that's what I'm hoping to enlighten the audience on that this stuff needs to go away and be shut down. So again, before we leave, I want to thank the gracious donors for everything that you've done for the truth for health. Again, we're going to continue to pursue these fights uh, right now, federal false claims acts that we're pursuing with your donations. But ultimately, if we can end these evil mad scientists and put these uh, biological labs doing gain of function, genetic modification, uh, end them. That's what we'll be looking to do in the future, hopefully. So thank you very much. Go to www.truthforhealth.org. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. Sign up for our email alerts and check out on the resources that we provide for, from medical advice to ministry help and constitutional rights information. This is Mike Gary signing off. Thank you for joining us today on the Whistleblower Report from Truth for Health Foundation. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. We urge you to sign up for our email alerts, donate to support our legal defense work to secure the human and civil rights secured by law and to live our lives in accordance with the U.S. Constitution and God's truth. We are here to bring you hope and solutions for such a time as this. With all that is assaulting our way of life, join us and stand strong against the lies and deception and speak out, get loud, get involved. God bless you, and thank you for joining us.